Welcome to the Wild Health Podcast. The EU-funded Wild Health Project aims to conduct research on pervasive e-health and establish a sustainable network of research and dissemination across Europe. You can know more about the project on our webpage wildhealth.eu, YouTube or Twitter. Our guest speaker today is Walter Metzler, a full professor for neurogeriatrics and deputy director of the neurology department at the University Hospital in Germany. He will discuss how informed digital and device agnostic biomarkers can be developed for quality of life relevant symptoms in various chronic diseases. Let's dive in. Thank you very much, Tiago, for this uh, really nice um, introduction. I'm really honored and happy to be here and to discuss with you a few lessons learned um, that we have in the development of digital biomarkers. And in fact, this is a, a topic where I really have uh, made also some progress with regard to uh, how to deal with, uh, with this complexity and also to live with uh, drawbacks, um, as many of you may also already have uh, experienced. Uh, so maybe this is also the reason why you, uh, you also attend and join this um, uh, um, this presentation. Um, the topic is indeed digital biomarkers for chronic uh, diseases, uh, lessons learned, and I will indeed focus on one of uh, the joint project, uh, uh, Tiago and I am in, uh, but I will mainly use it as, a, as, a, as an example and not so much to present uh, the project. I will also not uh, show you everything, but again, it's about lessons learned. So the main focus for the, uh, the lecture today is um, what are digital health technology and digital biomarkers and what are the expectations of the main stakeholders that are interested in the use of such digital health technology and digital biomarkers and in fact what are the challenges for a rapid implementation that uh, so many of us really are expecting and really need and want and I give us the example for this. So when we are uh, thinking of the definitions of certain terms we use um, then I I try to focus here on when, when we talk about digital health technology on this uh, definition presented here, recently uh, published a system that uses computing platforms, connectivity, software and sensors for healthcare and related uses. And uh, for the definition of uh, digital biomarker uh, characteristic or set of characteristics collected from digital health technologies that is measured as an indicator of normal biological processes, pathological or pathogenic processes or responses to an exposure or intervention, including therapeutic intervention. So this, the last point is also that that is main, maybe the most interesting one for most of us. I start here uh, concerning this stakeholders uh, most interested in this development with the patients. And um, this is a, a topic in itself, of course, and I put it here on the first point because I think we are now in, a, in an age where we um, have to put the patients really in the first place in 
this development and maybe also in, as far as possible in the driving seat of, of what we want to develop. And um, I have uh, given another lecture on this topic uh, recently and where I uh, talked about these three levels, what patients really want from this development. And I think it's uh, these three levels that start with level one. This means that data is collected in their usual environment. So we are talking here with digital health technologies, maybe not so much about the MRIs and all the stuff we have in our hospitals, but rather on something where we try to understand health and disease in our really in our usual environment. And this is also um, addressed by many, many calls we see on national and EU level currently that focus on uh, this aspect. There's another level, uh, what patients want and what they really now start to understand is that this data that is collected in this, um, in this frame is worth a lot, especially for me as an individual person and as a, as a patient, but it can also be helpful uh, for, uh, for the development of uh, of the entire frame. And so this is something which is now uh, a given that uh, patients have data to their own data. <laughs> I really mentioned this because it's not uh, self-explanatory, even not uh, today. And the level three years, and this is where really the new projects are, are focusing on is that patients are co-designers of this new development and they are included in the in the development uh, from scratch from the very beginning. This is something which is, I think, uh, really new, but we have to accept, uh, not only because regulatory bodies and governments uh, force us to do that, but also because we, this may be the main point that led to a lot of disappointments in the course of the last decade or maybe even 20 years in the development of such digital health technologies because they were not included in this uh, development. From a healthcare professional's point of view, um, there are, of course, also specific interests in this digital technology. And I think um, the main one is presented on the first page of this important uh, report. This is the Topol review, which basically reports about the uh, plans of the NHS, so of the UK healthcare system, um, for the next uh, 10 years. And this has been uh, published, um, I think this was the first version in 2019, but the final version is from 2020, I think. And uh, this review starts basically with digital technologies are transforming our ability to empower patients. So this is one of the central sentences to participate actively in their own care with a greater focus on well-being. So implicitly not on disease, it's on well-being. It's not on a, on, a, on a body function, it's on, on activity, it's on socialization. And then also to prevent diseases. So it's a, it's, a, it's a primary prevention. It's not only secondary and tertiary prevention, such as cancer and hypertension, and also, of course, neurological aspects. And also to predict the most appropriate treatments, etc., and to personalize the management of long-term conditions. So to personalize them, and that is was also included in this report, is to give 
time back to the professionals that can be used for communication and not for uh, investing in assessment. This also led to a, a important development within the healthcare system, and this is the digital health record. And some of may of you may also be involved in in these developments. They are especially far developed also in the in in the English speaking countries. I think also in the north of Europe. Uh, and the basic idea is that there is a folder um, that is owned by the user, so by the patient, and this uh, folder then includes info information, so digital information from the hospitals, from the from the plexus, uh, but, but then also passive and active data that is collected in the usual environment that can be then compared to big data sets that are collected uh, all over the world with uh, some uh, from people that have similar diseases, similar stages of diseases. And this is then also um, uh, analyzed using artificial intelligence. So this can be a basic framework as, I, as far as I understand how this digital health record will work it already now in some countries uh, and maybe and hopefully in the future in, in all the uh, countries that are providing healthcare. Here I provide you uh, an example from what is going on in Germany. As mentioned, so they are not in the forefront of this development, but still from since uh, about one and a half years, there is something like prescribable apps available and, uh, uh, and, and funded by the government uh, that help people to have basically a positive care effect. So they have to fulfill all the requirements for a, a low-risk medical device and data protection, etc. have high user friendliness. But then the main focus is on improvement of this health status or, for example, pain and improve uh, aspects of how I'm coping with the disease and uh, improve procedural and structural aspects for how to deal with the disease, how to deal with practices, interaction with doctors, better handling of aspects that are associated with disease, etc. So this is something what is, uh, it is not super, uh, well accepted actually in the healthcare system now in Germany, but the number of apps that are available uh, is rapidly increasing. And I think we will be at a very different point in one or two years. So it's, I think it's a very nice development and maybe in your countries, it is a very similar um, development. Now, another important driver of this development is uh, is industry and uh, and also regulatory bodies, of course. And what we can read on the FDA uh, website is, for example, uh, what industry wants from mobile medical apps and software that support the clinical decision doctors make every day to artificial intelligence and machine learning. Digital technology has been driving a revolution in healthcare. And digital health tools have the vast potential to improve our ability to accurately diagnose and treat disease and to enhance the delivery of healthcare for the individual. 
Again, we see the, the main points that are stressed again is the individual person uh, enhance the delivery of healthcare, uh, then that this is driving a revolution and uh, many aspects, how we do medical um, treatment currently may change uh, by 180 degrees. For example, who is the owner of the data, inclusion of of patients, and also uh, it will also boost uh, the, the use and the development of uh, instruments such as uh, shared decision-making, for example. So uh, without going too much into detail. So it's not, it's very, very interesting. I think there's a lot of potential, very positive aspects also for us as patients. Now, this is a, uh, an important uh, framework concerning uh, the definition in a way of a biomarker and these categories. It helped me a lot to understand uh, what we are doing, what we want to achieve, and also may, uh, at some point how difficult it is to really clearly uh, pin down what my study should achieve. And um, first of all, I've introduced two terms, the one is the concept of interest, it has to be defined, COI, that you see in dark blue here, these are the biomarker categories. So we have to clarify whether a biomarker is a diagnostic biomarker, which has, for example, for patient selection, whether it's a monitoring biomarker, monitors a chronic progressive disease, for example, or a episodes within the disease like uh, COPD, whether it's predictive, uh, whether it's prognostic, whether it's uh, reports about pharmacodynamic or response aspects is also one of the main points uh, that pharma, for example, and VS uh, medical professionals are interested. Also, it can address safety aspects and also risk aspects. So you see, there is a lot of um, work to do to really define the concept of interest of um, a marker and what this marker should then detect. And on the, on the right side of this framework, you see the context of use or so see of view. And um, this is also not self-explanatory that, that this is clarified from the very beginning and uh, it, is really, it is too broad or too narrow. So we have really to think of, for example, when we investigate something in Parkinson's disease, whether this digital biomark we want to develop fits for an early phase of the disease or rather for an advanced phase or even for the prodromal phase. And in this phase, then again, go back and, and think about whether the concept of interest is exactly what you want, whether it's diagnostic or whether it's diagnostic and monitoring. So it's uh, rather something that, that gives you an, an, an information about the longitudinal course of the disease. So it's quite, uh, it could be uh, quite, uh, time consuming and needs a lot of effort to be very clear on this. But when you start with a study, I can only propose or even recommend to use this graph here uh, and uh, to be very sure that what you want to design is um, fits well into this concept here presented by FDA and but also is also uh, approved by other regulatory bodies. 
one uh, the, the most famous digital biomarker we currently have, maybe also most widely used worldwide, is subcutaneous blood glucose measurement. It's, it is a fantastic development. It is super, super helpful. It has really arrived in uh, professional use and, and patients like it. They get information about their glucose level, blood glucose level, even if they want 100 times per second, etc. Many, many advantages. And if we are thinking through uh, which aspects of the concept of interest this biomarker covers, we can say that even it covers all of them. That is, so this makes it the most successful marker we currently, uh, digital biomarker we currently have uh, worldwide in my view. So it's fantastic, but not everything is so simple like blood glucose. And what if this concept of interest is much more complex? And this is uh, something what we have thought about, but also others and other studies, of course. And we thought about fatigue. And uh, the definition of fatigue is, and is given here. There are also others available, but we use this was an unpleasant physical, cognitive, and emotional symptom described as a tiredness. Tiredness not relieved by common strategies. So it's not relieved by common strategies. Otherwise, uh, it's it's not fatigue and uh, it varies in duration and intensity and it reduces to different degrees the ability to perform the usual daily activities. So it has daily relevance. Here I'm showing you another interaction. So the interaction between fatigue and poor sleep quality. I don't provide you a definition for sleep quality because there are many available. And uh, what you see here is a sleep quality definition that covers rather the, the patient perception. And you see that uh, first of all, fatigue is very, very common in, in many, many different diseases. So the, the diseases are very different from each other. For example, here you see the rheumatoid um, area, here the neurodegenerative area. And you see also that the overlap between fatigue and uh, post quality is very high. We also found that uh, fatigue has a huge burden to society and healthcare. And here it is again important uh, to understand what is the patient's perspective. Just because it costs a lot, that is actually no longer sufficient to really have successful biomarkers and also not uh, digital biomarkers. So it makes sense to first uh, address patients' needs and requirements with this regard. So this is really a very important aspect of, uh, from a patient's perspective. And then also, if you go into uh, the health economics, then you see that it, it costs a lot. So there are direct costs and indirect costs. So for example, sickness, abscess, job loss, etc. So concerning the concept of use, uh, we can now think of uh, which diseases have fatigue, of course, and then also how can we get an idea of uh, how to measure fatigue. And if we dive here a little bit more into the details, then we see that fatigue, for example, has um, effects uh, 
sleep, of course, also the circadian rhythm has, is associated with, uh, with mental illness, such as depression, anxiety, and is also associated with pain. It also affects the autonomic and the immune system, also cardiorespiratory fitness, and also leads to changes in the central nervous system that are on a functional level and even on a structural level. We also know that uh, it is associated with changes in, for example, the blood compartment, where we can measure increases of oxidative and nitrosative uh, stress, mitochondrial uh, function, and neurotransmitter metabolism. So what is also interesting is that fatigue per se does not really correlate with the uh, underlying uh, disease activity. Which is, uh, which is also reflected by, uh, for example, flaws in the uh, inflammatory bowel diseases that are not direct, often not directly associated with uh, phases of fatigue. This brings me to, uh, to a framework that is um, shown here. It's a very busy slide, but I lead you through uh, this slide uh, by uh, pointing to the most important aspects that, and also presenting an example for this. Uh, so when we are talking about requirements for successful collection and validation of real-world data, including implementation of such uh, uh, development, then the first aspect is that we have to establish whether something that you want to measure can be measured with something that is accepted by those who have to wear this device. And so first establish the wearability, usability and acceptability of the device that you need uh, for the collection of this digital parameter. So this is the example here is certain that operation of the device is possible even when you have a certain disease that affects, for example, your motor function. Here, for example, uh, an example is that you should do qualitative interviews. Uh, the suggested end is that you have to ask at least 10 to 20 participants. The second step is then established where the digital parameter can be measured with accuracy in comparison with an existing gold standard. So this is in a way uh, a technical validation uh, that, for example, uh, shows that the variable device really measures something that is also in the same range uh, and an acceptable uh, correlation as is the gold standard for this measurement, for example, an optical camera system for concerning a gate, for example. The next step is establish whether the digital parameter tests what is intended to test so that you are sure that it, uh, it is associated with the problem the person has. And this is, in a way, the clinical validation. Your example is demonstrated real world walking speed is associated with disease severity as we know in Parkinson's disease, for example. For this, it needs large and longitudinal cohorts to, to show this effect. This is an example for monitoring biomarker here in this regard. You can also develop other 
biomarkers and then you have to adapt it accordingly. And the next step is then, <clears throat> if you want to go further, establish the sensitivity of the digital parameter to change. This is necessary that you understand whether the differences you measure through um, um, the course of a disease or response to treatment, whether this is clinically meaningful. And the, the last step is then establish whether the smallest change, establish the smallest change of this digital parameter. So, uh, that it, you consider clinically relevant so that you have the chance uh, to uh, to define whether something is uh, clinically meaningful or not. And as you see here, also with regard to the ends, uh, we need to develop such parameter. We are talking about only one biomarker. When, you, when we see this number, then we see that there are uh, many stakeholders needed uh, to work together to, to, achieve, um, to achieve this goal. And so this is maybe also one of the main lessons I have learned. We have really to work together, not only with patients, not only with patients' organizations, not only with healthcare professionals, and also not only with my network, but also with healthcare providers, with the payers, with the national competence or sources, but also, and this is something which I really enjoy now in this um, in this kind of uh, project with the F together with the FBI partners, and this is uh, where we are now, and uh, this is uh, ID Fast, and ID Fast is on only one of many uh, IMI projects or IMI projects or you know medicine initiative now it's has a different name i think um and uh, these are the largest uh private public uh scientific projects in the world as far as i know and uh, they are really pre-competitive and they are designed in a way that they can really make a difference so um if their partners are um uh, the European Federation of Pharmaceutical Industries and Associations, and they really they help also to to reach the goals of the projects. And here, IDFAST in, investigates uh, digital endpoints uh, to assess fatigue, sleep, and activities of daily living in these diseases. I have shown you. It it is very typical that uh, these projects are very very large. Um, so here, for example, we have included 18 universities or clinical partners, uh, also small and medium enterprises, but also 10 partners from FBR. And, but also, and this is very, very central, three patients organizations and four, six uh, not-for-profit organizations. And we all uh, work together with uh, different aspects, for example, and I will mention it as later, uh, it's also planned that people uh, provide extant data sets to the data sets that are also produced within the lifetime of the project. They provide experts in clinical trial design and management, and um, there is a lot of patient engagement, etc. And where I, which I will show in a minute in more detail. So the project aims are as follows to find digital endpoints for the evaluation of fatigue and sleep quality or sleep in, uh, impact of sleep disturbances and to explore digital correlates of selected ideas in patients with uh, mentioned uh, diseases. 
and also to seek qualification of price of such digital endpoints from the EMA and if possible also from the FDA. And uh, the second project aim is to ensure lasting impact through the creation of a large real world digital data set or even more data sets of the uh, of the concept of interest as already mentioned, uh, biophysiological, neurocognitive, behavioral, personal, environmental, socialization observations coupled with comprehensive clinical data. And so uh, that we have anchors and data analytics um, that is highly sophisticated, for example, artificial, for example, artificial intelligence to support further future research and drug development. So the structure of the project is, um, as I show you here, first of all, this is the project um, in itself and consists of nine work packages, so project management and then also uh, data protection and dissemination that is um, here in work package line that is uh, mentioned below. But the main uh, parts of work packages is here the, the provision of clinical data that um, is the feasibility study and the clinical observational study work package two and six, then the uh, provision of the devices, logistics, then, and also analytics of this data. But this is also fed in into a specific uh, analytics work package working with, um, with this uh, novel um, analysis platforms. There is also a close interaction with data management with um, flexible databases. You see also, this is also central here. Uh, not only here are a lot of patients included in different work packages, but also here, there's another patient specialist advisory board, which has access to all the information produced within this um, project and gives us feedback whether this is really relevant to patients or not. We have a scientific advisory board of three people where one is also a patient. We have also ETEX and legal advisory board. And um, so these are the outputs of the project and uh, including of course data sets and also uh, impact that is coming through uh, intellectual input and property. Again, the concept of interest here, um, this is now for fatigue, but I think it is, can really be translated also to many as and other aspects and of symptoms that occur in, um, in humans during a disease. And maybe this is also a lesson I have learned. It makes a lot of sense to think about the symptom or a meaningful aspect of health that is in a way, of, of course, first measurable, and then as a second step, maybe measurable with a digital parameter. And to think this consequently through is really, really key uh, to a successful project. If this is not very clear from the very beginning that, that this, this question, this connection is strong, then you are lost during the course of the project. And here, what basically Fai Enger has uh, developed is this concept of interest, where he says fatigue consists of 
concepts of interest, their physical activity, physiology, neurocognitive performance, and social interaction behavior is affected. And this is then broken down into parameters that can be measured with different already available devices on the consumer market, by the way. And our idea is also that, uh, that it is not one parameter that will do the trick, but rather that it will be a combination of different measures that uh, will give us most information about how fatigued the person actually is and how the sleep quality is or how sleep quality was. Um, during the night. Um, so also a lesson learned is here that such a concept helps us to include devices that where one device can control for one aspect, for example, your physical activity and feeds then also into the others when it comes uh, to a certain breakdown. Uh, I think we live currently in a in the in a world where we say if we have one sensor and this reports us about a certain physiological aspect of our body during say one week, then we learn can learn a lot. But I'm no longer really sure whether this is really helpful uh, or whether it would be much more uh, promising to say it. Uh, what about if I know all I know the information about a certain gate phases, for example, and then can uh, maybe also conclude from this information, how was the sweating situation, uh, was, how was heartbeat in this specific situation. So bottom line, uh, this is a concept that may help us with by having information from uh, different concepts of interest at a certain time point in the daily life of a person that is fatigued or is or not fatigued or is fluctuating with fatigue that helps us to also to learn which activities uh, during the day are the most important one that reflect uh, a certain symptom. This is the very busy project timeline of this project. And you see here a timeline from November 19 to April, 20, April 2025. So this takes 66 months. And uh, we are here now. This is uh, May uh, 2022. And you see that a lot of, um, uh, of achievements, uh, so a lot of aspects have already been achieved. For example, also the EMA interaction uh, and also the feasibility study has been uh, performed and uh, the preparation of the large uh, clinical validation study, we call it now clinical observational study, uh, has started and we will start in, um, in, in two weeks. Uh, uh, we will aim to include the first subject with the first visit. We will end then with the final data package that we provide to EMA that show, will I show you in, a, in another slide in a minute. We are always in interaction with the analysis uh, personnel and collect literature about what we want to know and of course we always ask our involved patients how uh, whether this all makes sense the feasibility study in this project had the overall aim to test feasibility and performance of uh, the digital devices we 
have included that where we believe they can measure certain aspects of uh, of a symptom or of daily life. And the second, and um, for this we used uh, the, and we used this information here uh, to inform the the, the, um, the protocol of our clinical observational study, which was really really helpful. And um, this was the design of the feasibility study. Uh, we asked people to uh, wear specific devices uh, over four technology wearing periods, always with a short break between. And this uh, the combination of the sensors differed, differed between the different uh, wearing periods. Uh, these wearing periods uh, took five days each. We collected information about um, Parkinson's, Huntington's, rheumatoid arthritis, SLE, PSS, um, and uh, inflammatory bowel disease and healthy controls included in total 146 participants uh, and, um, and included information and about these uh, devices. Um, this was the the dream device and bike flies for uh, information about uh, sleep phases and and similar aspects. We also uh, collect information with the vital patch move monitor activity here on the wrist and also developed uh, specific apps uh, to collect information about cognition and and social interaction. Um, we also uh, tested two stationary devices. So this is why they are in brackets. This is a ZCO1. This is a radio frequency sensor and the bed sensor. This is uh, information. This is a, a mattress that is put into the bed and collects also information about heart rate and basically also uh, is associated with sleep phases. And from this information, uh, we moved forward and. Uh, Put them into the different categories I have already mentioned. The different categories of, um, of uh, COI, and you see here uh, blue means uh, um, activity. Uh, this means uh, physiology, and then uh, uh, the different. You see that the different colors mean uh, report about the different concepts of interest they are covered. And from this one, this information, we uh, <clears throat> decided to move a few of the sensors forward that are then included in the clinical observational study, which I do not discuss in further detail now. We also did a polysomnography sub-study. This was uh, basically that we tested all the devices also during night when people were in the sleep lab for two nights. And uh, this was done with 28 participants. This does not seem very, very, not seem very big study, uh, but still, uh, to the best of my knowledge, this is one of the largest data set that is currently available uh, that uh, provides polysomnography uh, data with um, a couple of digital devices for validation uh, purposes. So what we concluded out of the feasibility study was the following. Our participants show high interest in the topic of digital assessment of symptoms. I think this is one of the most important points also for uh, the FBR partners and industry in general. They, the main question currently is, 
are participants really uh, prepared and happy with these devices and wearing these devices and do they use it in their usual environment in their they, do they have privacy issues etc so bottom line from this research is that is really not a problem they are extremely interested and motivated to to learn more about these digital devices collect information also in the home environment we have also learned that people are willing to use multiple uh, systems even over the course of a few days and they are also willing to end to to add actively data to the digital devices or for example into apps so we also did some first uh, analysis of about the correlations between digital parameters and the perception of fatigue we did not find very high correlations, uh, but we find found significant co correlations, which are now followed, in, of course, in the clinical observational study, and uh, and also in the data set that is available in the feasibility study. Um, and if you were interested in collaborating with us in doing this analysis, please do not hesitate to contact me, and I will show whether this is possible. We are always happy to have to have uh, statistical support and to collaborate. And why didn't we found such high correlation? So when we started with the statistical analysis plan, our uh, people from statistics, they came to us and say, okay, it is very clear. So what we want to achieve is, a, is an R of 0 0.8 and higher. So this really shows that that we are we have a clear correlation of the digital biomarker with the with the perception of fatigue and then but then we we discussed this and we we agreed that this is not realistic and this is the reason and this is the reason uh, why this is not possible and this is what i show you here in this slide so we have in the conventional strategies when we develop a new tool to measure something uh, then we have a gold standard that is usually in the same um, in the same category as is the new one. So, for example, if you have a questionnaire that asks for of, of how a person perceives a symptom, then when you develop a new questionnaire, then you do you validate it within the same category, the same with capacity and performance. So this is in gray because this does not happen, did not really happen uh, until now. And what we indeed do here is this new studies, and I think this is also a lesson we have learned is that we now do no longer measure um, validate within the same category. We have to validate, for example, performance measures or digital biomarker with perception or with capacity parameters. Capacity parameters are, is that what the doctor measures in the clinical environment. And we have also learned that we have to accept uh, much lower correlation values um, because we know, for example, that these are not very good, these parameters, but also because they are not very similar what we measure. We, we are measuring in different areas. And that what we have also learned is that we, we, we even if we do these validations, it may be that depending on the context, the values are again very different. So in a very blunt example, if you measure, for example, in the clinic or in the home environment, and then in the house or in the outside in the environment or during dinner or 
in the afternoon or in the night, etc. This can make a huge impact and a difference in what you get from your validation values. I want to show it um, in an example here from a study we have done. Um, what we have done is here that we compared the arm swing of Parkinson patients before and after giving them treatment, so levodopa. And not, not surprisingly, we found that all the parameters we could extract from a sensor that people were on um, the wrist were improved. So there is improved by a certain a standardized response mean. And uh, this was when they walked with preferred speed. But if when they asked to walk a fast speed, the response dramatically changed. And all what you have is the stars is significantly different to the previous uh, condition. And even more surprising, during dual tasking, so people had to, uh, to, to count backwards, so they had a cognitive load, you see that it again changed substantially. So one movement where you think, okay, it could be very interesting how Parkinson's behave with uh, arm swing because arm swing is affected uh, in Parkinson's and it responds to treatment. It responds to treatment, so very interesting uh, concept. Uh, you see that this does not work uh, if you compare now different contexts. Now, Again, back to patients' involvement and engagement. I want to show you, and I think it, I'm uh, now through in, in a few minutes, so uh, I'm seeing close to a full hour, uh, just to show you how active we are in uh, with this regard is that we have, for example, included these patients' organizations, but then we have also this patient specialist advisory board with a lot of participants having the diseases of interest where we do specific activities. Then we have another group, this is the patient involvement and engagement group. This is a wider stakeholder group that helps us also disseminate the information and also help us doing uh, web-based device uh, service. For example, we were able to, to get more than 1,000 responses to a web-based device, device feasibility survey uh, that we specifically designed to learn more about how this uh, clinical observational study design should look like. And this will also be published and will also help other uh, people that design such uh, digital device studies or digital parameter uh, studies uh, to learn about what people really want to, what they accept, what are their questions, what, where they want to have, how much information fed back, et cetera. I think this could be um, also relevant for, for of future plans of others. And of course, we plan again to do uh, qualitative interviews and this in, in a reasonable number of interviews uh, that go far beyond the usually done, uh, 20, etc. One slide to the EMA interaction because this was also a lesson learned for me, uh, which was surprising and surprising was the workload. And also a little bit surprising was uh, to understand, for me at least, to understand how important this is. So first of all, I thought, okay, this is more, this is the industry part, but this is not true. This is, if EMA and FDA accepts um, our ideas and, also help us clear or approve such digital parameters, we can really bring them forward into, not only into 
um, clinical trials, but also in our clinical routine. And we know that validation work and also concerning COI and COU, that this is really well thought through. And so what you see here is a typical um, interaction uh, pipeline with the EMA that we started in October 2020 then we seeked qualification advice. Uh, this was what they suggested what we should do. Then we started this qualification advice um, with, and fed in this information that I have presented to you. We had then another meeting with them this year and we got this EMA qualification and advice where we learned that they overall support our concept and design of our uh, NIS 2000 study. And this is the first uh, step towards uh, qualifications, but they also mentioned that you need additional, in addition also uh, clinical trial data, for example, coming from exploratory uh, data that uh, feed into our observations that we extract from this COS uh, for, the, for moving forward into uh, a qualification opinion. We also started with interaction with health technology assessment, which is also very, very central. It's another important aspect, which I don't want to, to go into detail now. To sum up, um, digital health technology and digital devices certainly enable a new era of medicine. Um, they give us the chance to use new analytic approaches we can move into a new dimension of data collection, for example, into home environments. So there is um, no doubt about uh, that this will revolutionize uh, medicine and also uh, how we develop our new assessments in medicine. There are already very, very nice uh, examples such as blood glucose measurement, and I did not mention that heart rate or heart rate variability, including uh, arterial fibrillation, for example, Holter EGG, which is um, already long established. It's also very interesting digital biomarker. But, and this was the topic of this um, lecture here, that the applications in complex concepts, concepts of interest is still little explored and we need a multiple stakeholder approach uh, to address this extreme i would say it's in a way it's it's extremely difficult to really get a good frame around uh, an idea and um, and a symptom or a health relevant aspect of human life with these words i want to thank you for uh, your attention and want also to acknowledge uh, um, the contribution often to the to the to the IDFAST project. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Walter. I'll give you a well. Can't find claps, so I'll just <laughs> <laughs> so th thank you very much to, to for the talk. Um, I think it's uh, we are now open for questions. So I don't know if we have questions from the audience. Uh, if you have either raise your hand or just open the mic. Well, while people warm up, I, I, I think I can, I can make one. So, we, well, I'm 
very focused on working and designing technology for people. And so I, I really like that we are now more focused on patient engagement and designing and co-designing uh, with several stakeholders. And here, I think uh, there's a, uh, well, sometimes uh, we want to involve people, but at the same time, we know that people uh, tend not to participate as much as we would like when we are collecting longitudinal data. For example, we want, we would like people to annotate data in the wild to give us, to continue registering their activities through a long period of time, but that's, uh, it's a burden. And so people end up uh, not doing that. So uh, I think the, the, the most common example is on nutrition. So there are a lot of apps for people to track what they eat and then people stop using them after a couple of weeks. So uh, my, my, my question here is more on one side, when we are discussing this project, we are focusing more and more on collecting passive data. But I believe that only takes us to a point because we need the context that you are talking about. So where is this? How can we find this balance and what can we ask for people? Or how can we engage people more and more in uh, giving us better information? And so we believe that the next steps are in building these tools that people can feel more motivated to participate. And how can we do that? Yeah, thank you very much, Tiago. I think this is, this is certainly a key question. Um, I'm a little bit hesitating uh, to answer directly to the question and uh, asking you whether I can come from a different angle and ask you, for example, if you, if you have a chronic disease, Tiago, how would you motivate yourself? How would you say, okay, this makes sense for me? Now, I, I really contribute to this study or even if we don't talk about studies, maybe we talk about uh, applications that we use in medicine for you for the description or for the for the measurement of progression in your disease. How would you? How should this look like that you accept it? And I think we we need some maybe majoring. I'm not sure whether this is the right term. Also from ourselves as as patients, so that we understand. Uh, so it may be that I cannot be motivated to use all this stuff, but if I can be motivated, I want to be in the development. I want to be involved in the development. And then I, I know that I will use it. But now I'm maybe I'm 30. I do not know whether I will use it when I'm 50. But this is something we have to clarify on the run, I would say. First of all, I would I see maybe I hear you, Tiago, uh, but I'm Still, I'm still thinking we are too much in this world of, of scientists uh, where we say we have an idea and we want to go through it and then I have to look for my participants. This is now, I think we have to leave this field and to say, okay, first of all, shout out loudly. I have an idea. Who is interested into this idea? And then let us discuss whether this is a good idea. And then if I have some interested persons, then to say, okay, now are you interested to go with me into the lab? And then we design it. It is maybe it's very, it sounds horrible in a way, maybe, but in another way, it's uh, what we took, what we learned, for example, in Parkinson's disease to say, okay, maybe somehow say it may, 
be very a lot of effort to motivate people. That is not true. We have a lot of people with Parkinson's disease. They are they have they have time. They are retired, for example. And they really are like. They have also maybe a background for, as clinicians or as, as 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 technicians, and then they can really contribute. So, oh, maybe not exactly what you have asked, but uh, so. <laughs> but this is my is it is my view. Sorry for that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think yeah, I I'm all in that boat, and I think. Uh, one of the things that we may have in the future is uh, a lot of different things that, that people can somehow choose and we'll have to deal with the uncertainty of some, some people giving us data that goes more according to what they like and their values and other people give us and so we have to have systems also that are flexible to deal with a variety of, of different uh, streams of data, which I think is, is an interesting concept. Uh, are there questions? I have more, but <laughs> uh, hi, yeah, I, I have one. So it's it's possible that you answered it already, but I had an interruption during your talk, so I didn't hear everything. Uh, so when you were uh, talking about what kind of correlations between digital biomarkers and the gold standard you were looking for. Uh, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm an artificial intelligence researcher, so I think of machine learning uh, all the time. And, and so I was wondering why look at these correlations between biomarkers, why not combine them into a model and that model will surely do better than, uh, than your biomarkers. Maybe a question back, Mitya. Why, why is the model not the biomarker? Well, yes, it, it, it can be, of course. Uh, so, but if if you actually did have that kind of biomarkers, then then it's fine. Then it's just that the model were, was not performing as well as I would expect it to. Um, no, though, yeah. So, my my understanding is say. We have a, we have an idea, to, or there's an interesting paper has been published in 2018, uh, where uh, eye doctors published an artificial intelligence uh, algorithm uh, to, uh, to where you so where the algorithms and the doctors have to decide whether this is an acute, subacute, uh, or chronic problem, whether they have to 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 act now urgently or not, et cetera. And what, what the paper shows is that the artificial intellect, and this comes, the information comes from, from, uh, from the background of, so from the retina. So just one photograph. And uh, what, we, what they have learned is, and also it was an area under the curve action, and that is what I'm talking about, is that the algorithm behaved better than the, the professionals. So what we have learned is if you want to be on the safe side, please do not trust the doctor, but trust the algorithm when you have an, an, a disease of your eye, when it comes to referral to a specific uh, treatment. This was, I think, and, and here I'm talking about uh, the, the area under the curve was uh, of false decisions was lower in the algorithm than in the, in the, in the, in the professionals or the, in the human decisions. Uh, but what we do not know exactly is now how was the decision uh, be, 
between between the doctors and the algorithm. So I think this was not reported. This could be, for example, relatively low. So in, the problem is that your algorithm is better. So they have shown it because they could then test whether the decision was okay or not. But when we have cross-sectional studies, it's, it's, so we cannot test what is better. We can just take, take the differences. Then we have to assume that, for example, your algorithm is better than the current anchor, or the current gold standard. And then how can you show that? So it does not make sense that you have uh, an R of 0.8. It's maybe much better if you have 0.3 because you show that you can really, uh, you can, you, you can, you are so much better than the, the current gold standard. And this is what, what I wanted to address, that you okay. keep it flexible. But again, then you have to find another anchor or gold standard to make sure that this, this is really an improvement and not, not something else. Thank you, Walker, Peter. Um, other questions? So I have just, I have one more. Uh, and this one is, well, I fully believe in the idea fast project. So this one is maybe a question also for me, but I'll make it to you. Uh, so we are looking now at complex concepts. And so this complex, well, as the word says, uh, they will have, uh, they will be hard to measure uh, and, and eventually be, it will be hard to see, to understand if you are measuring it completely or have a full, full picture of this concept. Uh, so the, the analogy with blood glucose, uh, I think we, it, it's in a way it's simpler. So it's at the root, it's something that it's more objective. So fatigue, it can be a, a a consequence of a, a number of things. So my 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 question here is that should we really move to this complex um, concepts that are uh, not at the root or not the reason, or maybe a consequence, um, or not? So uh, so or, or should we? What is the reason for that fatigue? And so should we measure those reasons instead of the of the fatigue itself. Then the fatigue is, I know, I understand is a reason for other things, but do we know what are the reasons for this fatigue and should we measure them instead? No, yeah, it's a very critical question. And I, 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 I agree with you that it's absolutely justified. Why I believe in such projects, even if the concept of interest is relatively complex is, that um, we have the problem of perception. The perception is always very, very nebulous, very, very difficult to objectify, of course. And we even do not know how fatigue is, about what are the reasons for fatigue. And as soon as we think, so we have better measures for the severity of fatigue, we can then go back and also test again all our hypotheses, all our pathophysiology, etc., which may bring us to certain points where we see that certain networks are really contributing to fatigue, which we have overlooked when we just have perception measures. So um, this, this is a little bit thinking around the corner, but uh, still motivates me to say, okay, this could really make the difference then also in the development of, of, of new drugs and, and the treatment aspects. And in fact, I also like 
I like the perception measures, of course, but in fact, as a clinician, I see that perception measures differ so much from human to human. And to having a more objective aspect gives me the hope that the standard deviation of all these measures is much smaller. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I, mean, I think I'm very happy with going back and forth from complex and to more basic concepts to continuing gaining knowledge about um, these different diseases. Uh, so we have a question here saying, thank you, very interesting. With several wearables, do you analyze all specific measures individually or do you score them in a composite endpoint? Yeah, thank you, Natalie, for the question. And um, I, I'm, I'm sorry that I cannot really answer it because it's, of course, also an exploratory approach we have here. Um, and maybe the, all our analysts guys will, would answer differently. But so my understanding and my hope is that we, so for example, we use now in the clinical observational study um, three or up to four uh, wearable devices and um, then also a, a passive device and also two apps, for example. And of course, um, some of these aspects must be used as the anchors, and uh, but some of these can can be then used also as a composite endpoint. And to bring to to answer your question here as clearly as possible, actually, yes, the outcome that we present to the EMA is an, a composite that we say we 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 go for a composite endpoint. But what I'm as a researcher even more interested in is then to break it down and to understand what the con different concepts of interest I get out of these devices, how they relate then to other information I have to then build a new framework of how fatigue may be represented in within this CUI. So to really to break the data down to specific parts of the day, for example, etc. This is a lot that has, must be done in parallel or after the lifetime of the project, because this is not covered by the finances, et cetera. But this also uh, brings me back to, to, uh, to say, okay, we, we are really interested in collaborations and to answer these questions also on a collaborative uh, level and not only within IDFAS. It's not a closed system. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Natalie, for the question. Thank you, Walter, once again for this uh, interesting talk. Uh, thank you for the audience for being here. Um, and I uh, wish you uh, a good day. And we will continue having seminars in the, in the following weeks, like every two weeks. And so uh, I welcome you to all these future events. And once again, Walter, thank you for taking the time to present us uh, your thoughts thank and idea fast. Thank you, bye-bye. Bye-bye, thank you. Thank you very much.